0: Hey, it's Jose Galison. You're watching No Way Jose. You can find me on No Way Jose YouTube channel. All major auto catchers and Aussie as well. Today, my guest is Matthew Gilman. Uh, we're continuing our series on the Duncan Limp uh, whole ordeal. A little bit of deep dive. Uh, you know, he, he's he's an author writing a book. I believe it may already be released now. Uh, uh, if not, it's about to be, uh, I'll, I'll ask him in a minute. I forget exactly when the release date is. I definitely need to order that soon, but, um, I do want to remind you guys, uh, I'm back doing the paywall thing. Uh, you know, I got caught up. Um, it is the, it's the 1st of November. If you're watching now, uh, you're catching the live stream. If not, it'll get released roughly a week or so later. Uh, and, uh, if you want to have access to it in the meantime, uh, you got to be a patron at patreon.com just no way jose 2020 the lowest level is two bucks so i'll give you access to those episodes there's differing levels there's five dollar level ten dollar level 20 dollar level also you can just give whatever amount you want if you want to go above or you know somewhere in between there the highest level is 20 uh, 20 bucks that's a sponsor level and i'm a thorpe of the expat money show if you want to get the hell out of dodge if you can go to a different country he's your guy he has a podcast he also does as a business so if you just want to kind of dip your toes in you can go to the podcast check that out if you want to if you want to actually really you know get serious about it, you can go check out his business. I also have Jeremy Rimes. He's an Etsy store or at Etsy.com slash shop slash Raising Liberty. Uh, a lot of Liberty merch. Go check him out at Jeremy Rimes on Twitter. And I also have a new sponsor. I believe I announced him in the last one. Toad, uh, who have actually been doing a uh, Democracy of the God that failed uh, live ring series lately. He's also my co-host on Tower Power Hour, which is more of my comedy podcast. If you're someone who doesn't like offensive jokes. Uh, probably don't watch it, but it's a uh, more kind of Legion of Skanks style, I guess you could say, is the best way to put it. Um, so, yeah, and you know if you check out that show, if it's something that interests you, that's I'm a co host. He's a co host. We got a handful of other guys as well. Also, another co host, uh, Top Lobster. Uh, go check out his uh, merch at toplobster.com. You said to check checkout for 10% off. Uh, yeah, he's got uh, my merch. He's got Tar Power merch. He's got a bunch of other different shows' merch. He also has stuff that's not show related. So definitely heavily or highly suggest checking him out With that let's go ahead and get Matthew in here. Hey, what's up,
1: man? Oh, not much. <laughs> <laughs> hey,
0: when's it, when's that book releasing? Is it released already or is it a, a I think you had said it was uh, going to be, or I'll, I'll let you answer. I'm, I'm entirely sure. Cause I do want to get that ordered.
1: That was yesterday.
0: Yesterday. yesterday oh, okay. Cool. Yep.
1: Print right. and uh, ebook format are available. All right, cool, cool.
0: You'll have to send me uh, the link. And I can start putting them in the video description so people can uh, can just look in the video descriptions here. Video or podcast, if you're doing the audio version, just check the, the podcast description. And, uh, yeah, so that way people can have a quick link to that so that we can get it. Uh, so I've already read it through. Uh, I highly suggest it. I think it's a good, good primer for uh, people. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, let's go ahead and get do this. Uh I do want to warn people. Uh, this is not going to be all explicitly Duncan Lunt stuff. We're going to be kind of jumping off of themes in the Duncan Lunt stuff. Um, so obviously, a big aspect of Duncan and why this may have occurred in the first place is the whole militia aspect. And uh, I kind of wanted to form, just like the book is kind of written for someone who's just kind of you know coming across the Duncan Lump story. I also kind of wanted to fashion the series in a similar sense. So I kind of wanted to go into militias a little bit and the different militias he's associated with, and give people uh, I guess kind of a little bit of context on, on what what's going on here and oh why why would they why would the powers that be not like us to exercise our Second Amendment rights or or, or, or right, our First Amendment rights to uh, what is it uh you know congregate or associate or whatever the hell the First Amendment is I forget the specifics of how it's worded but um, yeah. Um, so let's uh, go ahead and get into it. Uh, I guess let's start off with what what kind of vaguely militia groups was Duncan Lemp even associated with in the first place?
1: So Duncan was uh, – he he called himself an active member of the Three Percenters. Uh, that was one of the groups that he was involved in. He was also affiliated with the Boogaloo Boys, and um, they, they kind of came into notoriety – uh, around 2020, and uh, it was a very confusing situation with the media because uh, after Duncan was killed, you saw Booglu showing up at BLM uh, rallies and, and protests, and they were supporting BLM. But as we know, the the militia movement, regardless of what organization it is, they're all all of them are labeled white supremacist groups. And yet here they are saying like, yeah, we support what they're saying about Brianna Taylor and all this other bull bull crap that's going on. And we don't like cops shooting anybody. <laughs> and uh, uh, a lot of uh, what they were trying to do was just making sure that their, their presence was known and having a group of armed individuals who also train with their weapons being present at these protests, cops, when they do show up, they tend to not get engaged or get involved and um, or they just don't show up at all. Uh, So that was part of why the boogaloo was there. And um, they, how Duncan was also associated was uh, uh, on one of his, um, uh, I don't even think it was a a carrier. I think it was just a bulletproof vest, but he had a, the, the, the flag, the Boogaloo flag, um, on one of them. That was that was part of the evidence that was collected after the shooting, and uh, but he also had uh, affiliations with different members. He made a website, Boogaloo.net. Uh, can't it's obviously not on the internet anymore. Um, but as for three percenters, that seemed to be who he affiliated more with uh, on an individual level. Uh, there's photos, on Instagram and, and Facebook of him going to get together on the weekends and they would train together. Uh, it's, it's a very interesting, uh, organization to begin with. It's very, very, even though it's an, on a national level, it's very localized in, in how they, they, uh, they organized everything in the group. And that, that was based on the philosophy of Mike Vanderbilt. Uh He had a blog, uh, the Sipsy street regulars, I believe it was called. It's still up. It's still available. All of his posts are still on there. Uh, different essays that he wrote on the, the philosophy of the three percenters, what they stood for, uh, how they were supposed to organize, train, etc., Um, And it was, it was really, especially with the whole Whitmer thing going on here in uh, Northern Michigan, where I live, um, mm-hmm. you'll see a guy with a, a t-shirt or a tattoo or something. And um, th- you have to ask yourself several questions like how new is that t-shirt or is that tattoo real? <laughs> um and if you have a feeling that this guy really is a member of the group, he's not going to talk to you like it, that. That's just not an option right now with uh, everything that happened with uh, Gretchen Whitmer and the FBI and everything uh, going on with that investigation. And uh, I believe one of them was uh, found guilty a couple days ago and um, that one of the trials ended and yeah
0: that must have been one of the state ones. I know there hasn't been much following on those ones. Uh, I mean myself included I've I'll, I'll be honest I lost a little bit of interest once the federal case has kind of dropped off but it's you, know, you can only devote so much time and <laughs> effort to following these stories you know because uh, yeah I mean I, I mean anyone who's been watching my show knows I've covered that pretty pretty decently I mean I, I, there's definitely people who have covered it better. I've covered it. it did a decent job so far as my content goes. Uh, so I have a whole playlist for those interested. Go check it out, uh, Michigan. But yeah, no, that's a whole crazy story. And I guess we can probably even touch on that a little bit as we go on. But I want to start and uh, kind of back it up. Uh, militias kind of have a uh, contentious history with the U.S. government, which anybody who's, you know, uh, you know especially your generic, uh, you know, uh, I guess, red-blooded, you know, conservative or, or I don't know, maybe someone who has an understanding of the original documents and stuff. And I'm not even a conservative. I'm more libertarian, you know, full full honesty for anyone who's just showing up. I mean, although that's pretty pretty uh, obvious if you follow any of my content. But, uh, you know, there definitely is like a contention. Anyone who knows how this the militia is supposed to be is the idea is, you know, you're supposed to have a weaponized citizenry. You're supposed to be able to balance out with the whole idea, balance out against the government, kind of uh, protect against you know, despotism or whatever. Um, and uh, a lot of people don't seem to agree with that. And obviously there's kind of, even in the way it was originally intended by the founders, there's a contention between the government and the the people, i.e. the militia. So I guess I wanted to kind of touch on that. Anyone who's followed my show for a long period of time, I've already covered a lot of stuff, but you know, this is kind of a little bit back to basics. Uh, let's kind of, you know, run through, we can go, I don't know if you want to go start before Ruby Ridge or, or, or start roughly around there. Cause it's like one event leads to the other, you know, once <laughs> right. you, once you start going down this trail and then you, you start with Ruby Ridge and you end with, you know, the FBI faking uh, or, or making it appear like there is some <laughs> concocted, uh, you know, plan to steal the, uh, to kidnap the uh, Gretchen Whitmer or something, you know, <laughs> like you could connect all these dots from one to the other. It's pretty, it's pretty wild. Once you start understanding the history. But uh, I'll, I'll let you start where you want to go, and we'll kind of work up. Uh, and I'll, obviously, we can kind of conversate as we go, because I definitely, especially OKC, you know, I'm right. sure that'll come up. That's one <laughs> I'm a little bit more knowledgeable on, not as much as my guests I've had. But uh, yeah, but I'll, I'll let you go.
1: OK, so during the 70s and 80s, uh, there was definitely an anti-government, white supremacist. They, they were white supremacist uh, mm-hmm. movements. Uh, these were armed militias They would uh, Be involved in things like bank robberies Where they were trying to finance their war Against the government uh, You ended up with books like the Turner Diaries Being written around this time And um, There was a, one specific group called the Order And they were Trying to wage war against uh, The federal government Unsuccessfully, obviously uh, But uh that kind of died off uh, along with the cold war, but then you ended up having uh, Ruby Ridge with the Randy Weaver and his family. And this was where the, the, the feds were trying to infiltrate uh, white supremacist groups in Idaho, which most of the United States are just kind of like, you know, potatoes, like <laughs> nobody's really thinking of Idaho as like this, this haven, this Afghanistan of like white supremacist neo-Nazi movements. And uh, so they're trying to get Randy Weaver to be a informant for them and get into these groups that he, as a neighbor, he was going to them. He was, he was trying to get to know the, the people that he, he was living around. Um, some people say he was a white supremacist. Others say that he was just, you know, trying to fit in with the, the place that he moved into. Uh,
0: Real quick. I do want to clarify. Uh, I mean, maybe it's just my libertarianism shining through, but I, the whole, uh, are they white supremacists or not? It's a little bit of a red herring for me. Cause it's like, okay, what are they doing? Are they like trying to wage a race <laughs> war? Like, cause if not, if they're just a group of guys that happen to not like black people, and they're not hurting anyone. And they're just like, we want to keep the federal government from encroaching on our land or, or, or from taking our guns or whatever. It's like, okay, well, I don't like some of their ideas, but they're not hurting anyone, so who cares? And, it, and this is a common through th- through line with all these militias. It's always painted as white mm-hmm. supremacists, which ironically, a lot of the white supremacist organizations end up being extremely infiltrated by feds, if not mostly feds. Yeah. Uh, I don't I don't know <laughs> if the order was that case, but I know the ARA, which was like basically a later iteration of it in some sense, uh, at least in spirit, was very much just... And that's a lot. That's tied into a lot of the OKC stuff, which we're going to do. That was very Fed related. But the Feds Feds abound in the militia stuff. But uh, but go on. I didn't want to throw you off. But I just want to point out this the white supremacist thing is always the angle they point to. And it's kind of like, OK, but are they trying to wage a violent race war? Like, what what is, what is your point? If there's, especially like in Idaho, it's like, OK, yeah, it's a bunch of white dudes. Like, yeah. it's, it's Idaho in the 80s. I'm sure it was 98% white. So, like, okay. <laughs> like, are right. they, are, are they lynching black? Guys? Okay. All right. Yeah. Now, now I see there's a problem. Like, if not like, okay, you have some white guys who like guns who have some semi bad ideas. Like, okay.
1: <laughs> like, right. Yeah. <laughs> why even bother if they're, unless they're mailing stuff to, I don't know, like the Unabomber, if they're yeah. doing stuff like that. Yeah. I, I can understand why you're, you're trying to figure out who these people are, but and the thing with Idaho is, and this wasn't in the book, but uh, there's an author, James Wesley Rawls. He wrote a series of um, the, oh man, I can't remember the name of the series now. I believe it's the Patriot Series. And there's this region of the United States. Idaho is like the center of it, but it's called the Great American Readout. And it encompasses parts of Washington State, Oregon, uh, most of Idaho and parts of Montana. And it's just this region of these these people. And I'm not necessarily saying that they're all militia, but it's like Christian, white, conservative. They, they have like their solid values and they just try to keep that area how they want it, kind of like their own gated community in a way. Uh, but that, that came up with uh, the James Wesley Rawls books. Uh, which brilliant guy? Uh, he's a, a vet. Uh, he's got his his Patriot series, which some books are good, others are a bit of a mess. But he does some really great survivalist stuff. Uh, but when it came to to back to Randy Weaver, uh, there ended up being a siege on his his uh, property. And it was after his son was killed. Uh, There's still argument as to whether the Fed shot first or if the son shot first. Uh, As the story goes, the dog was barking and one of the the FBI agents shot the dog. The son said, you shot my dog, you son of a bitch, and fired back. And next thing you know, there's a shootout going on. Randy Weaver's wife was killed during that. Um, one of their neighbors who was helping on the property, he was hit. And, um, I think it was 10 or 11 days go by before they finally convince him to, uh, surrender. And at the very end of it, the, the family ends up winning this lawsuit against the FBI, um, which doesn't bring the family back. You know, it doesn't undo what happened, but, um, Anyways, there, so there's a lot of um, anger about what happened with the Weaver family. And then a few years later, you have Waco. And that uh, – that Real quick, up-
0: I do want to back up on, 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 to, on uh, Ruby Ridge to provide a little bit of context because I feel like it, it, it it's kind of is important here for a larger context of the Duncan Lemp story. Uh, I know there isn't there might be a loose fed involvement to some extent at some point. We may talk about that later. Uh, but, uh, with the, uh, Ruby Ridge one, I believe what they, they got him for was they got him for, uh, they got him to saw off a shotgun for them. Like basically someone, you know, you got him to, you know, cut it like an inch or however much below the amount you're allowed mm-hmm. to cut off your shotgun. And then they're like, there was kind of the deal of like, Hey, we want you to rat out your buddies or, you know, make some information for us of uh, usable. And he was like, No. Fuck you, and then, then I guess, and if I remember correctly, uh, the the whole uh, impetus for them coming up there was they missed the court date for this, and mm-hmm. I believe you may be able to correct me from wrong. Uh, in my my recollection is they changed the date and didn't notify him. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> so I might be wrong. I'm I'm pretty sure that's the case though.
1: So, he, um, yeah, yeah. Well, he, uh, yeah, that that story is correct. He where they lived, jobs were not plentiful. So he was having a hard time making a living, uh, providing for his family. Uh, The feds knew that he was hard up for money. And so they sent this guy in to buy a shotgun off of him. And the guy kept saying that, you know, I'll I'll buy it from you for this much, but you need to cut the barrel down. And he kept saying, no, no, He, he kept refusing. And the guy was in, one of the things he said was if you want to cut the barrel, just buy the shotgun and cut it yourself. And he's like, no, I want you to do it. And finally, because he's so hard up for money, he, he agrees to it. Uh, and yeah, it was, I don't even think it was an inch, you know, it was cause I, I believe it was already like a really short barrel, like double, double barrel, maybe like a coach gun, something like that. Um, But anyways, he, yeah, he ended up getting a a bench warrant put on him. He missed, I believe it was a couple different court dates and they were mailing him notifications. And I think the last one had the wrong date on it. But regardless, um, I think, I, I can't remember if he admitted that he wouldn't have gone anyway. Like he didn't show up for anything prior. So yeah, there is the argument that like, yeah, they put, they had the wrong court date on what they mailed him, but at the same time he wasn't showing up anyways. I don't know. That, that um, reminds
0: me of the famous anarchist that got, uh, they, they accused him, I believe of the Haywood, Haywood, Haywood square or something like that bombing. I forget his name. I'll, I'll, I'll kick my butt later. Cause it's a very famous name. Uh, but he, uh, he said, uh, that couldn't have been me, uh, that uh bombed i was at home making bombs (laughs) it's it's kind of the same vibe a little bit different it's kind of like well yeah i missed it but i wouldn't have gone anyways (laughs) right (laughs) gotta respect it but i mean still the point stands i mean if you didn't give him the correct date you didn't give him the correct date but right uh haymarket uh haymarket uh lewis ling that's who it is i don't know i'm like ashamed i couldn't remember that but uh yeah that's who that was um but yeah all right now we're on uh waco which uh i mean there's a A lot of people have covered that extensively. We won't, I mean, well, you can cover as much as you want, but we definitely won't beat that one to
1: death. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's, there's a lot to that story Mm -hmm. and there's, it's, but there was the siege on Waco, um, which that, that started out with a UPS driver of all things uh, delivered a box and the bottom of it fell out. Hand grenades were on the floor so he reported it, that opened the investigation, but it, it also seemed like the ATF wanted to investigate uh, the, the Branch Davidians anyway. And uh, what they really were after, or at least what came out during the investigation, the I, was it like a subcommittee or maybe it was like a grand jury afterwards? Uh, they kept bringing up the whole like uh, underage girls and polygamy and all, but at the same time it was legal in the state of Texas, like the, the age of the girls that um, Koresh was involved with were of legal age, as long as he had the parents' consent, which he did because they're in a cult. (laughs) So definitely um, scummy,
0: but you know, it it was legal and, And I guess there were other accusations of even like actual underage, but nothing was shown to be substantial. That was just a post facto rationalization, uh, a post hoc rationalization by the, uh, by the, uh, by the powers that be definitely.
1: Yeah. The ATF has absolutely no jurisdiction when it comes to any of that. So that being a justification for going in and shooting up the place, just, it, it didn't work. Um, but yeah, uh, and I actually know a guy who works for one of the companies that Koresh bought his firearms through. And Crash purposely made sure that everything that he was doing was legal. So everything that was in his possession at Waco was by the book. And he made sure of that as he was buying everything. I'm
0: pretty sure I'm even like- those grenades, I vaguely remember, those were like... Uh, kind of those, like, I, I, I've only been to, like, a couple gun shows, so I don't even recollect it, but apparently it's a common thing at gun shows where we'll they kind of have, like, gag grenades kind of deals. Mm-hmm. So they weren't even real grenades in that way, if I recall correctly. So, but, yeah. yeah
1: They, they were props. Uh, they would make their own t- like, tactical vest that they would the Branch Davidians would sell at gun shows and stuff for extra money, and they would put these grenades on them as props to show, like, hey, you know, they can even hold this. Uh, not that anybody can legally own them in the United States, but uh, yeah. So uh, Waco, that ended up. Uh, there was the the fire, which, from what I've seen, that was started by the ATF and the FBI when they did the final raid on the place. Uh, they set the building on fire. Uh, the the tear gas that they pumped into the building that's flammable as well. So. They were just adding more fuel to it uh, with the tanks that they were using. And uh, yeah, so there's, there was a lot of pissed off people about that too. Uh, and afterwards, of course, we have uh, the Oklahoma City bombing, which you've got a very long extensive series on that. So I guess we could sum it up as like Timothy McVeigh, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <I mean, laughs>
0: um, but uh, he... the, the way I put it is it at the very least was a cover up in which the feds didn't give a shit about human life and probably most likely was a fed off. <laughs> so, yeah. Like, uh, I mean, I'm not, I won't say for certain cause it is kind of like, I haven't seen anything that's like bulletproof that they did it. And maybe I mean that you could explain it as like, I don't know, maybe they didn't have full control of their informants or whatever, or someone had different idea at some level. But yeah, it doesn't look good, but I'll let you go
1: on. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, with Oklahoma City, uh, there's a couple of uh, lectures by Michael Rupert that I've been listening to lately. And when he talks about 9-11, and I'm going to tie this into Oklahoma City. But people are asking him, like, well, why – if the government was involved, why would they do it? And he would say, like, oh, oil. And they're like, oh, but it's not just oil. It was also this, and it was also this. And um, Oklahoma City, I believe, was not just one thing. It was was to do several things. And so if you look at the motive behind an event like that or 9-11 – people want the simple one answer like, Oh, well, 9-11 was all about oil. We wanted to go into Iraq. We had to justify it, but it wasn't just about that. It was also about drug money. It was about a whole lot of other things. The putting the Patriot act in uh, which I believe was one of the the people who penned that was Joe Biden. Uh, But then uh, when, Oklahoma city, same thing. Uh, you know, you had all the papers that the Clintons had in the building. Uh, you had the, the gun laws that Biden again was, was trying to pass beforehand, but didn't get approved until after the bombing. Uh, there, there were definitely several things that were, were happening that the federal government wanted. They wanted something in order to push these things through. And they got it. Uh, But with Oklahoma City, the thing with that is I remember living in Michigan. uh, The Michigan militia came up quite a bit afterwards. And it was because allegedly uh, Terry Nichols' brother, I believe, had the farm in northern Michigan. And they, they were trying to say that some of the fertilizer that they got for making the bomb was through that farm. And then there was the tie-in with the Michigan Militia, which McVeigh, he had some loose ties, but it was really to nothing in Michigan. It was um, uh, Oklahoma-based uh, militia groups that he had some affiliation with, enough to where a an ATF informant was able to like meet him and Terry Nichols and then go to the ATF and say, like, hey, these guys have this plan. They're saying they want to do this stuff you should really keep an eye on them. And of course it ends up happening anyways. Um, so that was kind of like the downfall of the, the whole white supremacist militia movement, even mm-hmm. though like nobody claimed McVeigh, like mm-hmm. nobody wanted anything to do with that guy. Yeah. He um, had,
0: that is a, uh, that was one of the things me and uh, Richard Booth and our series tackled pretty early on. Like he, he definitely was trying to, uh become parts of groups and it seemed every group was like get the fuck out of here we don't want anything to do with you and because you know for one uh, you know most of these people see someone like hey i don't like the blacks and i want to commit violence and most militias are like uh, pretty much instinctually like well this guy either glows or he is a issue so we don't want him either way so uh, because militias are you know typically smarter than that because there's a rich history of feds or even idiots getting involved that get them to cause problems. Allah, uh, if you look at the Michigan one, um, God, what was his name? Uh, Adam Fox. Uh, I mean, I don't, he was, I don't think he was, I mean, he definitely wasn't a glowy, but he, you know, even like it was one of those things, like whether you're glowy or not, the results are the same because he ended up being a guy that could pin all this shit on and kind of like sort of concoct some nonsense out of, So, yeah, uh, McVeigh was kind of a joke uh, and a scapegoat and a way for them to continually try to pin the militia movement with the white supremacist, uh, um, you know, moniker, you know, but sorry. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So after after Oklahoma City, you really didn't see any anything from the militias after that point. And then 9-11 happens and. What militias were still out there? They they really like converted their ideas to this whole like we're here to protect the homeland from these Muslim terrorists that are trying to destroy what we stand for and or they hate our freedom. I don't. Uh, if you want to sum it up in very very simple terms, they they looked at themselves as like we're here to protect protect our country from that outside threat, whereas beforehand they're totally focused on the federal government, but I guess in their eyes they're like, hey, the federal government's finally focusing on something that we don't like too. (laughs) So um, during that time, during the the Iraq war, like the Bush years, really, they they, uh, they really changed their focus on who they were, who their enemies were, but then – I would have to say that the main shift after that point was like Obama. You had Obama, you had the, the wall street crash where the economy just went to crap. They didn't know who this new guy was. That was in the white house. They didn't understand a lot of the stuff that he was doing. Uh, He definitely came across as like anti-gun, but then I talked to militia members today. And they're like, we liked Obama more than we liked Trump. (laughs) Yeah.
0: It's not so much much Trump as the fact that, uh, when you have a, when you have a a liberal in office or Democrat, it tends to be harder for them to get, uh, get shit through, if that makes sense. Uh, so when you have someone like a Trump or somebody that people perceive as being pro gun, whenever they push through gun stuff, then it's, they get less pushback, but yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. And, uh, so when Obama came in the office uh, you had, he was almost like the glue that solidified the militias back together. And you ended up with the the start of the three percenters uh, you had the boogaloo came around, out around that time. Although some of the people I talked to say that it really started earlier on the internet, but then like the final form that we see today with the Hawaiian shirts uh, that, that was more uh, like towards the middle of Obama's uh, eight years. Um, the I, I wouldn't. I really don't want to say that the Proud Boys are a militia. They just seem to be more of like some type of. Um, I, I want to say that they're they're more of just like some type of group that hangs out. You know, yeah. uh, I haven't really seen any of them armed. Uh, I mean, they they do go out. They do get in the drunken brawls sometimes. Uh, there's those videos that you can find on YouTube where they're getting in fist fights. And regardless of who started it, the, the Proud Boys are the ones to blame for some reason. Uh, but then, uh, yeah, so you've got uh, quite a few different groups out there. The, the one, this wasn't in the book either, but the one thing I was really surprised about was the state of Missouri. Like if you're really into, if you really have an interest in being in a militia, the state of Missouri has in their state constitution that I believe it's between the ages of 18 to 36, any man in the state is considered part of the militia. And that's not considered the national guard. Like they expect their citizens in the state to train and be fit and be part of this, this group. And it is organized. They do have like um, the, the president of the Missouri State Militia. Um, they do have subgroups where like they'll be part of that. But then they're also three percenters or they're part of the Boogaloo. Um, it just depends on the individual or where they live and what they're inter- interested in. Um, but I did find that to be very interesting because the state itself in their constitution actually protects the people who are engaged in this. And it doesn't matter what subgroup they are, as long as they're not breaking the law. Um, they're expected to actually be in a militia, whether it's the the one that they put together themselves or the statewide that's, that's outside the National Guard. And it's not even run by the state. It's run by the citizens. Which was the original idea uh, of the founders. So, uh, you
0: know, which is kind of interesting. I didn't know that, but going, uh,
1: so yeah, uh, with Obama, you ended up having the, these groups, uh, coming out and, uh, the, the other solidifying factor was probably the Bundy ranch, uh, standoff, which, uh, Tim pool recently had Amon bunny on and, uh, The After Show, which is available um, open to the public on podcast, Eamon Bundy goes into like what happened at the ranch and it turns out the Bundy family themselves weren't armed. Um, They were protesting out with signs and and the groups, just like anybody else. They didn't even know that the militias had shown up. There was that famous photo of the guy in the bridge with the rifle, the sniper rifle that's aiming it at the feds, allegedly. Um, But uh, Yeah, apparently uh Eamon and the rest of the Bundy family didn't even know that the militias were there. And the the interesting thing about that was the fact that the presence of the militias uh being willing to throw down with federal agents uh made not only the agents leave, but they returned the cattle that they had taken. Uh it didn't unfortunately it didn't bring back the cattle that they euthanized and then put into a mass grave before that, which uh, I didn't find out about that until listening to the podcast, but that was something that happened. So, uh, and the feds haven't been back since Um, that was, that was the other really interesting factor was the fact that uh, uh, not only did they have the standoff and nobody fired a, a shot on either side, but, the feds left, they backed off, and they never came back. So, yeah, which is yeah.
0: a, a great demonstration of why uh, the powers that be are scared of militias. And uh, as a result, it, this kind of ties into the whole Duncan Lump conversation. Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't know if you have anything to add to that, but uh, it's hard to me to cut you off. Want wanted to throw that in there. Go on.
1: Uh well I, I think it ties into like the the Boogaloo movement where they were going to these different protests and they were showing up and then the cops would back off and, and leave the protesters alone. Uh, when I was talking to uh, the the guy in my book, Boog, uh, I purposely left out a couple different names. I didn't want to uh out anybody or or put any certain people in in danger per se for things that they, they said or, or who they are. Uh, but Boog, uh, he was talking about how in San Francisco, there was like some gay, gay pride, um, rally or protest or something that was going on over there. And the Boogaloo showed up because, uh, the last time that, uh, they tried having something like this, the cops would show up in riot gear and, and harass all these, these people out in the streets who are, uh, engaging in their first amendment rights and the boogaloo are just like, no, like we may not even agree with what they're doing or saying, but we know that they have the right to do this and we're going to prevent you from messing with people. And it kind of fits in with the bunny ranch. Like anytime from what I saw, the boogaloo showed up and we're standing around just minding their own business. <laughs> like the cops kind of did the same thing. Um, and that kind of also ties into the, this, I believe it was the state of Virginia that had that, that ban on the, um, they had a law where if you're protesting, you couldn't be armed at the same time. Um, but that was, I guess the, the government likes you to, uh, they like you to use your rights the way that they want you to use them. It's <laughs> how I would put it. And uh, if they can't tell you no, at any point that they choose, they have an issue with that. Um, and apparently in 2020, they had no issues with anything that people were doing back then because nothing was really enforced at the time. Yeah. So uh...
0: <laughs> the, the common line, I think is that the, Uh, I believe that at some point the Supreme Court has said, made some decision along the line of that uh, no right is absolute and that there can be restrictions.
2: Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you.
0: Put upon them and it's like well then that's not Even a fucking right but uh, you know Okay <laughs> uh, right. it, Like that's not not a right But uh, okay <laughs> But go
1: on Yeah uh, that, I, I would totally agree With that where George Carlin said something about like You know we don't have rights we have privileges Because they seem to be able to just take them Away at any time that they want And a right you're not supposed to be able to do that and he goes further and they're like the whole god thing or whatever but um and he's he's completely correct on on what he says when it comes to that because the moment that they start infringing on any of that and as we've seen with the recent DHS leaks that just came out what yesterday or the day before yeah where they were colluding with all these com- and we knew this was ha- like I-, I was saying that this was happening a long time ago and we knew Some of what was happening with the Edward Snowden leaks uh, and then, you know, they're admitting to some things after that. But this whole thing where they had their own portal into Facebook where they could just write in and say, like, we want these people removed and boom, like they're gone. Uh, That's not (laughs) when they're trying to argue, like, well, they're a private company and they can do what they want. That's not a private company. That That's yes. definitely somebody colluding with you, the people who are not supposed to be infringing on other people's rights. There's a reason why that paper was written the way that it was.
0: Yeah. Well, all right. right. We've. I feel like we've covered most of the history of the different militias. I saw someone in there asking how does this tie in. I think we already addressed this. Uh, I mean, this is going to be – I know it's a Duncan Lemp thing, but this is a uh, – we're going on different little – This is, I'm tailoring this series to kind of like newer people that aren't as familiar with all this stuff. So I'm trying to provide context, uh, do a uh, deep dig on all this stuff. I just want to give the Duncan Lump story the attention it deserves. Uh, But I also do think this stuff is important to know. If you need, if you're not someone familiar with all this stuff, the context is important. Like, why? Because if you're just something, if you don't know any of this stuff and you're like, hey, this guy was killed, and uh, you know, I mean, uh, some of the stuff people say about the Duncan Lemp stuff may sound crazy unless you realize the context of the situation of like, hey, this has been a longstanding thing where uh, they don't really like it when people uh, really try to get the militias organized uh, or uh, efficient in any way, shape or form. And this was a guy that was good with tech and uh, really had a love of guns and militias and rights and freedom and voila, he's dead so uh you know uh i mean i don't know maybe maybe it could be just an innocent thing to where the cops fucked up hardcore and you know ta-da, he's dead but uh or there could be more to it so you know it's kind of like a you know open to your own imagination um but uh, all right, yeah we covered all that i did want to re-emphasize and you did a little bit uh The whole Obama era, he really was pushing hardcore for, you know, domestic terrorism, but it didn't really seem to work. Like, uh, I know the uh, powers that be were – it didn't seem to really, like, uh, go through as well as he would have liked it to because that was a kind of sort of priority of his administration – and then it seems to be coming full force now. Uh, it was almost like Trump was the perfect impetus they needed to be able to push it through. And it's kind of funny. They still push this white supremacist stuff <laughs> uh, and to, to kind of give it this. And this is why I keep bringing it up because there's always this, like, subcontext to any time you bring up militias of racism. And they will. They may not always explicitly say it. They may kind of, like, uh, contextually just, like, make little hints and cues. There's always this little underlying thing of like racism. It's like because you're not supposed to like racism, and don't be wrong. I don't like racism either. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm not like as offended by it as some people are, but you know, like it's almost like this dog whistle thing to where they like say racism and expect you instinctually just knee slap, be like, nope, I don't like it. Uh, Even if it's not true, you just take their word for it. Um, And with that, I think uh, let's let's start digging into the Boog Boys uh oh someone's brought black panthers yeah no uh the, the, i actually really like the black panthers in some ways i know they're don't be wrong there's probably instances we could probably bring up of like hey that wasn't cool but i, I really i mean you know, like the blacks i mean some of them were black supremacists i really don't even have necessarily that much of a problem with it. i'm not a fan of it but uh i, I mean i i'm all for people you know Organizing and you know uh, with their second amendment rights or you know their natural rights to you know own guns and you know keeping people from fucking with them. I'm, I was fine with the Black Panthers, but let's get into the Boog Boys and what they are, what they're about. Uh, you brought up 2020s or heyday. I was actually more involved with them in like the 2016ish range personally, uh, but yeah, they are uh, they're an interesting uh, conundrum. The Boog Boys, especially with the racism connotation because that is really just like <laughs> they always tried to stick with them, but it just doesn't stick. And it, it's this thing where like in modern day with militias, they try to keep using this racism car, but it's so such a tired trope that it just doesn't stick today. I mean, don't get me wrong. Maybe normies it does stick for, but like, I don't know. Just most people, I feel like I'm like, what, like, wh- where's this racism you're talking about? But, uh, let's talk about the boob boys, who they are, what they're about. Uh, And the floor is yours.
1: (laughs) All right. So the the Boogaloo boys, they're, they're kind of like, um, in a way there's the way that they started is similar to, I would say the proud boys where it was almost like a joke or a gag. It was an online thing, like a, a running meme. And then it, it ended up forming its own ideology, its own philosophy, uh, where you know they they have this thing about the the electric boogaloo, and that's why they wear the uh, the Hawaiian shirts as part of their uniform. Uh, but they believe uh, that there's going to be a time where the the federal government is going to step too far, uh, and they're the the boog, it's kind of like in their eyes armageddon it's it's the end it's the when the country is going to fall apart and it's going to start this civil war and they believe that's going to start with gun grabs and which is why they're really hardcore when it comes to owning their guns training with them uh, they believe in defending themselves. They, and, and this is why Duncan Lump uh, ended up becoming a huge symbol for the group in 2020 is because what happened to him is exactly what every member of the Boogaloo is is afraid of happening. Where our men show up, they want to take your guns, and they're willing to kill you in order to do it. So that is where Duncan ended up becoming a huge symbol for them. Uh, but the the boog itself, and and this is where Wikipedia gets it wrong. Where uh, other outlets, uh, different news organizations, but especially if you look at the Wikipedia listing, it will say that they believe in this coming civil war and that they're willing to start it themselves. And it's like no, <laughs> like they're, and, and this is a common thread with uh, the Boogaloo and the Three Percenters and and other uh, groups. Uh, very very similar to them is that they don't believe in throwing the first punch they don't want to start the civil war they are there to react when it starts yeah um, there
0: isn't uh, do want to interject there's a common running thread because I was when I I always like tentatively sort of say I was involved around 2016-ish although like like you said it's a meme so like I wasn't like I was ever like a A lettered member or, you know, like uh, blooded in or whatever the hell the terms are. Like, I was just some dude who enjoyed the memes and I was in some groups where we kind of talked about these ideas and like, there is an ongoing joke about who's going to start the boog. But even then, it's the idea is to start the boog is in response to government violence. It's not like it's not like someone's like, hey, I'm just going to go. I mean, I guess maybe there were some crazies that would be like, I'm just going to go out and start you know, uh, you know, often, you know, law enforcement officers or something, uh, you know, like, but for the most part, it was like, hey, if they did something, I'm going to return force and this will kick off the boog. And there were a few situations that like a lot of people were like, oh, my God, we almost kicked off the boog there. Uh, and so my, I do want to just emphasize the idea is that this would only be and this is a common thread, like you said, with the three percenters. This was like I remember reading your little bit in there about the three percenters. It was only in response. You know, it wasn't like a, you know, we're just going to go out and be offensive. Cause I know that's, that that that's not going to work. You're, it's not going to work to your advantage if you act offensively, but go
1: on. Yeah. There, there's definitely an idea of holding the whole, the, the moral high ground uh, to react to a situation, but not create the situation uh, that that was uh, an important part of the boogaloo. Uh, and they, they definitely emphasize training that that was a big part of it. The three percenters are the same way. Um, and it's I found it interesting that for one, Duncan was a member of both. um the the one member of the Boog uh, who I was able to talk to, he was saying that uh, it's common for people from the three percenters to to find the boog afterwards or, you know, vice versa, or, you know, they, they in one and then they kind of go into another or they remain, uh, members of both. Um, but I was also asking, uh, how, you know, somebody is definitely a member of the boog and they would say, well, you know, they're devoted to the ideology and it's very, they were saying that it's very hard to fake. Um, I don't know. I, I wasn't really convinced of that. Uh, I kind of like the the way that the, the three percenters, how it's very, lo- very localized. It's like you and your neighbors. Um, perhaps if somebody on the outside is brought in, it's through relations or previous relationships somewhere. Um, but anybody outside your actual small group, like you just don't trust because you don't know them. Um, there isn't, there isn't like a, a membership card that's handed out, and the Boogaloo is the same way. I, and I think that might be one of the reasons why organizations like the Boogaloo has a difficult time with uh, glowies going in. Is that yes, it's not centralized. They're they're not really supposed to have any leaders, although um, certain people like uh, on Vice. Uh, Mike Dunn was kind of labeled as a a leader of uh, a Boogaloo chapter. And that's not to say that they won't pick somebody to lead them, but in the philosophy, it's supposed to be like every person is trained in a certain way and able to uh, work, either work together or stand on their own. Uh, But uh, yeah, that's uh, let's see here. Trying to think if there's anything else with the Boogaloo that kind of stood out to me. Um,
0: if not, we can move on to three percenters. I think what's interesting is the uh, comparing and contrasting the th- the three percenters between the Boogaloo boys. But uh, I mean, unless you have something to add, we can move on to who the three percenters are and what they're about.
1: Yeah. Okay. So the the three percenters was started. I, I think I touched on this a little bit earlier. Uh, it was started by a guy named mike Vanderbo. Um, and he was affiliated with militia groups from the 70s 80s into the 90s until oklahoma city happened and then that kind of just like killed everything after that point and then he re-emerges in the the early 2000s and he creates this idea of the three percenters uh and i believe it was the the early aughts the or the the teens uh, Before he died, I I believe he died in like 2014 or 2015, but he had a series of posts and it was very, very based on history. And he was looking at at situations like Ruby Ridge and Waco and saying like, we need to make sure that stuff like this never happens again, which is why you ended up with like the Bundy Ranch happening. Because at Waco, you had people showing up, but you didn't have anybody engaging with the feds it was very branch Davidians versus the ATF and the FBI. Uh, nobody on the outside was really uh, getting involved in that. Uh, but as for like the Bundy ranch, it was, you know, these militias came in and they were standing, not just with the Bundys, but they were standing on their own against the feds. And that was where the 3% idea kind of came in. Like, we're not going to allow this crap to happen anymore but he was also very big on like, we don't do Oklahoma cities. Like this is not a thing. Nobody, there's no encouragement to do this. No loss of innocence. Um, uh, keep the moral high ground. Like this stuff isn't going to, to happen. Um uh, definitely not encouraging any acts of terrorism. Um, but, uh, there, there also was a sense of like, um, uh, the whole idea of this being a Christian nation uh, that was in some of his writings. And he tries to base a lot of that on history as well, where he's, he's quoting uh, some of the founding fathers, uh, different things that they said about the country. So you, you kind of have that, I wouldn't say white supremacist, but he didn't definitely had like a Christian backing to it. Um which I did not find anything like that with the Boogaloo boys. Uh, That was definitely a whole other uh, philosophy outside of that. Um, But yeah, so a lot of uh, foundation in history, religion, um, looking at events that took place and making sure that stuff like that didn't happen again, or learning from those experiences, which I think was probably like the most impressive part for me. Like, I just feel like nobody really learns from history anymore. Like things happen two days later, we forget about it. Um, but this guy was looking back at different things and just saying like, no, nope, no, nope, like we can't forget that this stuff happened. Um, we need to look at how we can prevent this from happening in the future. And hit one of his, um, philosophies or or parts of like training for three percenters was like sharpshooters and snipers. Um, that was what he really emphasized with that. Um, he, he did encourage people working in teams, but at the same time, he was saying that like everyone should be a competent marksman and be able to, um, uh, shoot long range. Um, there's definitely the, the whole idea of like the long March or the rucksack uh, that was a part of three uh, percenters uh, which a lot of this really fits into like rural uh, culture, uh, rural environments. And I think that's why you see a lot of that outside of the city, the three percenters, you don't really see too much of it in the cities, but you do see more boog from what I've seen.
0: Yeah, um, I do want to bring up – I liked the historical – example. I don't remember the specific – I believe it was a Civil War example uh, the 3%er guy used uh, of the idea of not firing the first shot and keeping the moral high ground. I wish I could remember the specifics of it, but there was a uh, – maybe you recall it, but there was a specific Civil War example you used that uh, had the uh, Confederates not, like not fired the first shot, that it would have maybe forced uh, – it basically wouldn't have given uh, Lincoln a perceived high ground and allowed them to essentially, uh, uh, you know, come out the victors or at least uh, give him the high ground in that situation. Which yeah. Maybe you did. Uh, by the way, here in this channel, I'm pro uh, secession for the uh, Confederacy. That doesn't mean I'm pro slavery. <laughs> I'm just saying I'm pro secession uh you know if they want to break off they should have been able to that's their own prerogative that's the way the whole union works but uh you know go check out lysander spooner for further context if you'd like (laughs) um yeah i don't know if you recall recall that specific example if not it would be fun to go into comparing and contrasting the two
1: yeah that was uh Sumter. Okay. uh yeah when the feds came in and they're going to reclaim their, their fort on Confederate land. And they're like, no, this is our land. We built the fort. We get to keep it. And the Confederacy was like, no, screw you. But uh, yeah, they, the argument was that when the Confederates fired the first cannon at the ships, trying to reclaim the fort that they, they lost the high ground. They should have just let the, uh, the North fire first. And then they could be claimed in self-defense and, i don't know i personally for me uh when it comes to a fight it's usually the the person who throws the first punch is the one who ends up winning the fight uh statistically and uh from my own experience um but i i can i i can see the whole idea of like don't fire the first shot but it only takes one bullet to kill you at the same time and that that's just me talking um I understand their ideas and like why they would want to have that. But at the same time, I don't want to be a freaking martyr either. So,
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, if we're talking one-on-one, yes, I agree with you. But when you're talking about a larger, like geopolitical thing, you know, especially when, you know, most wars become a uh, wars of ideals, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, originally intended that way or not, that's what it ends up being. Uh, it's, it, you know, the moral high ground is extremely important, I think, in those mm-hmm. in, in some sort of large, uh, you know, things like that but uh let's compare and contrast the two uh because i actually think in a lot of ways uh you know the the boog uh, has a upper hand in being a uh, decentralized type thing because you brought up feds we talked about racism and you know uh i mean i i don't know specifically uh so far as racism with the three percenters but i know with uh with feds it's I feel like the three percenters are far more rife with feds than the uh, boog is. Because, for one, a fed, if you're going to try to take over some sort of boog, it's like, oh, what, what are you going to take over? There's not like these established, <laughs> you brought up, they have leaders, quote unquote leaders, uh, but they're more just like people who rise in prominence. They're not really like actual leaders. They're just people that have gotten popular, you know, I guess somewhat to their own merit. Um, but you know, feds and even racists in the boob movement, uh, tend to be kind of relegated off to the corner. Uh, like, yeah, we, we're all going to make fun of you. And I guess technically you can say you're part of the boob because it's not an established thing, but it's like, we're all just going to tease you and we're, no one's going to really want to interact with you. Uh, whereas something like an established thing, like a three percenter, it may be more easy to infiltrate in that way. Uh, you know, especially modern days the three percenters are rife with feds unfortunately because i do mm-hmm. think they're uh i do think they're you know after looking into their ideology uh coming from up top it's not too bad i mean don't get me wrong i have some minor notes here and there that i might disagree with but for the most part you know, pretty on pretty on point uh you know i, I mean I, the whole christian thing yeah whatever i don't really care uh i'm an atheist but you know whatever i, I don't really care i'm fine with being in a if I was in a Christian nationalist nation, as long as they didn't really, they weren't trying to string me up for being an atheist. I don't care. Uh, I get along with those people just fine. <laughs> so like, uh, so um, I, I guess I'd like to get your thoughts on, uh, you know, kind of differences between the two, uh, you know, uh, you know, essentially, you know, kind of like, is there something to being more decentralized? You think there's prop, there's positives to being more centralized? Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh... With the, the three percenters, they they try to they try to be decentralized, but I think overall the the I think it's just human nature. There's gonna end up being like some leader to the group, right? And regardless of how local it is, um, I mean, it could just be you and your neighbors, and like there's just one guy that's gonna stand out in the group. Um, and then there's going to be that, that one person who's like, Hey, I got this buddy that, you know, he wants to come and hang out with us. And it turns out the buddy is a glowy. Uh, so I, I think, yeah, there's, there's definitely issues with the, the structure of the three percenters. And I don't know how exactly they could, uh, change that. Uh, but then there's also, um, I'm trying to remember the name of the group They're They're being, um, their leaders being charged right now, uh, federal court for January sixth. Uh, their lawyer was just arrested as well. Uh, and it's, <laughs> some reason, Patriot Front is Oath Keepers. Uh, Oath Keepers, uh, and this is outside of the other two groups, but they're definitely very organized and, and central. Uh, but then the Wisconsin chapter. Come to find out the person leading that is a federal agent. Uh, the FBI created the Facebook group for the Oath Keepers for that chapter in Wisconsin. No <laughs> <laughs> so so there's definitely an issue when it comes to being organized. Uh, there's definitely a lot of issues, especially if you're using things like the Internet to to try to organize yourselves in these groups. Uh, it, it just makes things a heck of a lot easier for department of Homeland Security, the FBI and the ATF. Anybody can go into these Facebook groups, pretend to be somebody. And then this person shows up and like, Oh yeah, you know, I was in that chat room over there. And, oh yeah, you're cool. And then next thing you know, you've got like half the room filled with federal agents or informants. Um, but uh, as for the three percenters, yeah, it's definitely easier to infiltrate um, with the way that they're organized. Uh, even though they try to be decentral, decentralized, it just um, be- because of how it's structured, it's still easy for feds to to get in there. Uh, as long as you kiss up to the right person, they'll they'll bring you in. And you can start training with them. Uh, as for the boogaloo, um, yeah, it's definitely, if you show up somewhere and nobody knows who you are and you're encouraging certain things that don't fit with the ideology, um, yeah, they're, they're not going to talk to you. They're going to tell you to F off. And, um, it's, uh, I would say it's harder. It's definitely, it, it's more difficult for them to, um, uh, try to frame somebody who's an alleged leader in the group Um, because uh, there was one situation with Mike Dunn where uh, he was with one of the guys in his militia and this guy was trying to encourage him that I believe it was like blow up a hospital or something stupid like that and Dunn actually turned him into the feds. He was like, hey, this this guy's saying, you know, he's trying to talk me into doing this thing and I don't want any part of it. And then after that, you know, the, the media is labeling him as a federal informant because he turned in one of his own guys. But here he is doing the right thing. He's protecting the group. He's trying to show that the Boogaloo don't do this type of thing. And they just throw it right back in his face. Like, oh, look at him. He's a traitor to his own people. And it's like, no, that, that guy was not part of the group he was not he was not uh living by the ideology he was he was trying to do something counterproductive he wasn't protecting uh the group or the nation or or you know it's like trying to start the boog is not it's not the job of the boogaloo it's it's reacting to it when it happens and um so yeah, even even by turning in his own guy, he was living up to the philosophy of the Boogaloo Boys, and um, they they tried to turn that around and discredit him for it. But um, it's uh, yeah, it's it, being decentralized has its benefits, but at the same time, it also kind of leaves every individual to uh, their their own. I guess not being able to, st- it makes it more difficult to stand as a group. I would think.
0: Yeah. I mean, in some ways, I, I don't know. It is a uh, kind of hard to compare the two. Cause I mean, I would personally lean on the side to centralization, but it, it is an interesting conversation to be had uh, either way. But uh, speaking of feds, let's talk about Patriot front and then we'll wrap it up. And then uh, <laughs> uh, next episode, I promise will be a little bit more Duncan limp heavy, but I, I, I just really – I do think this is an important context for people to understand if they're trying to understand the, the Duncan Lemp story from a, a larger context.
1: So Patriot Front <clears throat> was a group that magically appeared after January 6th. Uh, all of a sudden, there's Facebook groups. There's all these chat rooms. Um, people are are being invited, uh, encouraged to join Patriot Front. We're going to protest in D.C. We don't like how things are going. And they're trying to get all these people to show up. Nobody had heard of this group. Nobody was familiar with it. They didn't know who created it, who the leadership was. Uh, and I remember specifically before this rally happened, Glenn Beck of all people is like, "Hey, they're encouraging people to go." Um, if you're not familiar with Patreon, don't worry, nobody else is. So you had Glenn Beck telling people, "Don't go to this rally." Every militia, every every group was saying, "Do not go to this." Regardless of of how cool you'll think it is, it's not going to. It's definitely not going to be January sixth. Um, uh, you're not going to change anything. And lo and behold, uh, the, the people who did show up were reporters <laughs> and guys who are definitely feds. And the story that we got from the reporters was that you had these, these, these guys wearing sunglasses, uh, fitted t-shirts they're not adhering to like any of the normal militia gear or anything like that they're definitely dressed like off-duty police officers uh they all had the same haircut uh clean shave It, it was it was completely ridiculous and i'm trying to remember the exact quote in the i had in the book but it turned into a BDSM orgy of handcuffs and safe words as these guys are going around trying to er- arrest each other. And it's like, you're under arrest. I'm FBI. I'm ATF. No, you're not. Look at my wallet. <laughs> it's like, uh, and so you end up having these guys that were getting Cuffed for saying or doing stupid stuff at this rally, and then they're putting them in the back of a car, and then they ID them, they let him back out, and then that guy's going off to try to arrest somebody, and it's just this repeating thing. Um, thankfully, uh, as far as I know, uh, whoever did show up that, that wasn't a Fed didn't do anything stupid, <laughs> but uh yeah, it was it was basically a big non-event. Uh it was I, in my opinion a complete embarrassment Because you, you had all these Different agencies Going in trying to Find people to arrest in order to to Make a big scene About how like we can't stop these people These, these guys keep showing up to protest And look at what they did at January 6th And it's like yeah. And nobody, as, as far as I can tell, nobody showed up. It was just a, a complete joke and it was basically trying to entrap people to come in and, and do something stupid so that they can make the arrest and they can get the story. And it's just unusual usual crap that goes on with stuff like that.
0: Yeah. I mean, they're still going on to this day and they've had multiple different situations, but I mean, really, if you're someone who doesn't look at that and think there's something fishy going on here, I, I don't know. You're just, uh, I guess one, I guess an NPC is the best way to put, or you're just not thinking <laughs> deeply about the stuff because it is, it's so fishy, it's to a ridiculous level. The the Patriot Front. Uh, I do think it's important though to bring up this context. You know, when we're going to go into Duncan Lemp, uh, you know the the idea of uh the contention between the two how ridiculous the Fed involvement is. Um, Yeah. uh, But with that, I guess if you want to go ahead and drop your plugs, we'll get out of here. And, uh, you know, like I said, next episode, we'll get more into the Duncan Lamp story, but I do think it is important to understand, uh, you know, the, the context of the militias and how they uh, interact with the powers that be. And you also got to think of it in a larger context of where we are as a nation, uh, you know, we have completely exhausted ourselves out externally so far as, you know, overseas, you know, the Middle East, whatever. And now we're at a point where things are getting wild with the dollar, you know, economically. Uh, we're getting to a point where, you know, they're going to start turning that power inward because they have uh, really over their abilities as a empire. And now I think they're a little bit worried about the powers that be. Uh, rising up, and I'm not calling for a rise up, Uh, let me be clear, I actually have one who who has criticized uh, things like Boog or a revolution, Uh, you know, I don't think those generally work out to your benefit, but that is something the establishment is very much scared of, and I think that is important to understand. Uh, And this is a reason why this has been a priority for decades now, because they've always been worried at some point, they're going to fuck up, and, you know, that's going to like, I mean, like I said, I think with a revolution, you're likely just to put in a new establishment that's going to be just as bad, if not worse, in the end. But uh, the people in power don't want another establishment put in because that won't be them. So, uh, <laughs> you know, so they are scared. So I do think that's an important thing to realize. So, But uh, if you go and drop your plugs, we'll get out of here and I'll uh, let you go on with your day. Well,
1: I, but, I think the, the, the last thing I want to say is uh, if you really want to understand... the Duncan Lemp situation and, and what happened, look at the current, the, the very recent DHS leaks that came out and the fact that the department of Homeland security wants to have the sole authority over the internet. They, they want to control everything. They, they want to control Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, they they want to monitor everything they want to control who's on there who's saying what uh they want to know every conversation every post um uh, and, and not only that but they also want to control as to who is who's out there who you're seeing uh you can be subscribed to somebody on any platform and they can just shut it off all of a sudden you're no longer seeing that person like I, there's several people on YouTube that I follow I don't see their stuff anymore uh, but if you really want to know like what what Duncan Lump that whole situation was all about look at those recent leaks and look at the, the actual documents They're, you can download the actual documents that they use for that story on the intercept and um, see for yourself as to the different things that they were doing And and this is all 2020 afterwards. This doesn't cover the stuff that they were doing beforehand. And they're already saying that this is the biggest story probably of our lifetime. Uh, But you look at the things happening before 2020 and what DHS was involved in before then. And I think that's the real story right there is the things that, that they were getting away with. Things that were leaked, but nobody really gave a crap or knew about because we're too busy hating Donald Trump. <laughs> That's uh, there were there were definitely things that came out that DHS was doing, and you know now we're learning about what they were doing in the last two and a half years. But beforehand, all that stuff was ignored and and forgotten about. But you put the two of them together, and uh, yeah, it's it's not. The local terrorist that you have to worry about—that's the villain. It's uh, somebody with definitely uh, darker, darker ambitions that are uh, trying to run everything from behind the scenes, and and that's that's what it all boils down to.
0: Yeah, and uh, this will this will all come into view even more when we start getting into the kind of things Duncan was seems to be he was trying to pull off so far as technologically of why they'd be like, Oh shit, you know, especially in context of the DHS stuff, uh, the internet, which is like kind of been the greatest tool for free people. But on the flip side, it's also the greatest tool for the, the power elite. Uh, but you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's an arms race. And luckily, uh, you know, with decentralization or free people, uh, they're a centralized unit that only works, you know, generally kind of works in on a one track mind. So hopefully we'll win overall, but, uh, it is definitely in a dicey territory. Uh, but yeah, if you go drive the plugs, we'll get the hell
1: out of here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so you can find me at the collapse Uh, I also have a podcast called the collapse experiment, um, which I really haven't been keeping up with lately. I, although I do have to have a, uh, update post because, uh, my last story that I had on there, uh, has some revelations that happened today. Um, you can also, if you want to get in touch with me, uh, the class experiment at gmail.com. And, um, yeah, all my books are available on Amazon uh, in ebook and paperback format.
0: And this specific book, uh, you want to unplug
1: that real quick? Uh, Crash in the Night, The Assassination of Duncan Lump.
0: Yep, and uh, I'll be sure to get the links for me. So whenever this goes public, roughly a week from now of the live stream, uh, I will have those in the links so that way you can go to the video description and you can order it, uh, you know, buy a bunch of them, send them around to your friends, uh, whatever, what have you. Uh, definitely a story. I think is to spread. I'm glad it's finally getting its due. Uh, you know, in a in a book form. Uh, hopefully that'll uh, move it around in a different medium. But uh, I appreciate you for that. Uh, this is the Noe Jose show. You can find me on YouTube. All the major audio packages, Odyssey as well. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter at Senor Jose 2020. Hopefully Elon uh, finally starts pulling back the old accounts, so and I can bring my uh, my other. My multiple other bigger accounts I've had before, <laughs> you know, that'd be nice. But uh, you can also follow me on Facebook if you want, Jose Gallison. I'm on Instagram now too. i kind of a boomer in the technological sense. So I'm still kind of figuring out Instagram. I don't really like it. But, you know, I'll stick around there just for an outlet. If that's where you prefer, you can get a hold of me there. Uh, I don't remember what my name is. But Jose Gallison or something along those lines, you probably can probably find me. But, yeah, if you want to support me, patreon.com. It's no way, Jose 2020. Like, share, subscribe. All that good stuff. And with that we are out. Appreciate your time, Matthew. We'll do this again in like a week or two. Uh, and, you know, keep on, keep on, keep it on. Appreciate it, man.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.